Welcome to another episode of the Speed Change Repeat podcast um, today with Carsten Linz. Hi, Carsten. Hi, Jonathan. Great to have you. Yeah, thank you. thanks for being on the show. Um, it uh, is always a pleasure. Uh, so um, we have a lot of topics that we want to talk about. But before we go deeper into them, uh, I think, you know, I always uh, want to uh, give the stage to the guests to kind of give them the chance to uh, explain where they come from, what their background is, and um, to yeah, for our listeners to really say give a give a background to understand what who the person is, you know, what has shaped them, to really understand, you know, how how did they actually end up where they are right now today, right? And so uh, yeah, please go ahead. The stage is yours. Yeah, thanks. Uh, quite a quite a big question to start with, actually. Yeah, who I am? Yeah, I, I am passionate about driving transformation, leading organizations into the digital intelligent age. So that's potentially what what is it in a nutshell. I've been doing that in various corporate roles uh, with SAP for quite some years as business development officer, heading the Center for Digital Leadership. Uh, recently uh, as group digital officer at BSF and uh, yeah I'm really helping also CXOs around the world uh, navigating their digital transformation so I'm writing books our recent book was uh, radical business model transformation gaining the competitive edge in a disruptive world has been uh, quite a bestseller been translated quite some languages uh, so so might worthwhile to read it and uh, the second edition is coming out in October so potentially something to remember uh, I'm um, helping a bit in the uh, executive working group of the uh, World Economic Forum uh, for accelerating digital transformation for digital platforms, digital ecosystems. Um, I'm also active as a business angel, um, part of the high-tech window for the Europe largest European seed stage fund uh, in the investment committee. And uh, yeah, I live in Frankfurt, have a family, a little, little daughter, and uh, yeah, married my dream woman. And I I'm fascinated by architecture design and sports so that's uh, potentially me in a nutshell right 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 uh, and uh, I think let's let's kind of have a structure uh, to really yeah um, yeah kind of have a, a merit to 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 this to this conversation today um, I would I would suggest that as you said you know um, most activities that you that you have done so far in your professional life actually reflect that what you said right you're passionate about transforming large organizations to the digital age and um, I would uh, as we talked before we started this call actually or this recording uh, to be more precise uh, we said we kind of want to yeah have two guiding points so we want to kind of first look at the you know what what does it take to if we take a really traditional business right a, a large enterprise with a history you know that has a, a reasonable size let's say fortune 100 company right what is what are the let's say main challenges right that that these companies these uh, organizations face nowadays when it comes to digital transformation what does that actually mean because there's i mean you know there's probably a uh, you know i think there's no word or phrasing that has been used more than in the past decade than digital transformation but now with you really being at the forefront for the past let's say you know past decade you know, also, let's say, in your different roles that you had at, 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 uh, at SAP or BASF, right? Let's first dive into that on, on what, what is it that you can, let's say, from your experience, really, you know, tell about that from, 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 uh, in regards to digital transformation. 
Yeah, so, so passionate to talk about uh, transformation at grand scale, how I typically like to coin it. And, you know, if, if we look and we analyze the, and we do that on an annual basis, we look into two, 250 to 300 digital initiatives uh, around the world. And the patterns that you're seeing are quite obvious and fundamentally they're not changing so rapidly as we would, would, would assume. So we see still the majority of digital initiative geared towards uh, automation efficiency gains. So basically automating the existing process. I would call it digitization. So making analog or virtual or physical things more digital, which, which is completely okay, don't get me wrong. Then the second bucket is really kind of, I would call it process reimagination. So really putting the business process add tests before you re-implement them. So I would say also a traditional um, yeah, predictive maintenance scenario in an engineering department would fall into that category. This is definitely growing substantially, this bucket, uh, but still kind of we are very, very much too uh, close to our knittings. Where it becomes really interesting, where we see a bit of less initiative focused on is really the transformation of, an, of, an opera, of the operating model. So let's uh, take uh, the Adidas Speed Factory approach here. I mean, there has been a challenge now under the new Adidas leadership recently, but fundamentally was the idea to implement agile principles in a physical production environment uh, to allow for mass customization. So, so quite a substantial change in the back end, so in the way of how you create value in the organization. And the last bucket is, is the most challenging one where you find only few. This is really transforming the business model as a lever to drive digital transformation. And this is really becoming very interesting. And why is that that you don't find so many in that bucket? Uh, the challenge is that fundamentally you need two things. You need entrepreneurial transformation leadership, A, and B, you need the backing of the board. Because is kind of the uh, the engineering department, uh, the predictive maintenance or is something you can do locally in a unit and organization entity. Whereas a transformation of the business model requires an orchestration across silos, across organizations, across departments, across functions. And this typically, despite the fact I'm a big fan of uh, distributing leadership in the organization about co-creating the future, it's really there you need a strong backing of the executive board of the CEO typically and interestingly enough, also of the supervisory board and right aligned, aligned uh, strategy between supervisory board and executive board. So this is a nutshell. And I think this is the challenge that most companies have. So now let's don't digitize the past, but innovate and transform for the future. So I would basically recommend to have, if you look at your overall portfolio of uh, digital initiative, put at least 30 to 30% of an allocate capital and resources towards really driving change on the business model and operating model level. And also, of course, have 60, 70% rather gets to automation efficiency gains uh, in the area of process automation and process reimagination. Mm -hmm. So how do we, let's say, um, if, if we take a, if we take a, let's say a, a Fortune 100 company, right? Um, that is uh, publicly traded and um, you know now let's say you know the board or let's say the, the, the executive board is under pressure okay we you know we need to bring in a chief digital officer we create this position of a chief digital officer and then um, you know there's there uh, the importance for that has been understood I mean there's ultimately um, 
let's say uh, a million things that you can do, right? And 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 the the funny thing is, people always let's say criticize uh, criticize companies very fast in terms of okay, you know, the, uh, it's not really going that well, you know, the speed at, at which which things are happening is not that fast enough, you know. But the thing is, ultimately, and and I think that is um, uh, that is uh, where I want to let's say get into the next point is how do you let's say qualify things right because you already differentiated between okay processes right and uh, operations part and then let's say investing more into future re uh, related stuff but ultimately you know you have a core business model that let's say brings in your money right you are a publicly traded company therefore you are also let's say you know obligated in regards to your shareholders right and the and the and the, and the things that they want to get from you right which are more let's say status quo focused than let's say okay you know we in the future it might look completely different and we need to be like that how would like how how does a, a especially a person right with the task this difficult Right? How do you qualify and how do you, let's say, categorize these things and, 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 and find the focus? Well, that's, a, that's an excellent question. I mean, if, if you look at that, uh, from, 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 from the bigger picture, you see, uh, kind of, let's go back to, you know, fundamentally, if we really want to change and not only do incremental changes, that's the assumption. So, so what does it take? And I mean, Typically, if, if you want to drive, for example, a transformation towards a new business model and, and, and build up new digital native revenue streams, for example, what does it require? It, it requires a change in the way how you create the value in the back end. It, 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 it requires a change in the front and how you deliver value to your clients. But it also requires typically a change in the monetization mechanics, you know, how you monetize that stuff. And what we're still seeing is that too many organizations rather kind of, you know, uh, make changes that uh, are more or less at the surface of things. You know, they they only scratch the first, but they do not do deeply change the logic of, of doing stuff. And this opens quite a playing field for new entrants. Uh, this is the challenge. And typically, uh, as digitalization is a horizontal phenomenon, the new entrants are coming in at the edges. You know, they don't come in the center stage in your industry as you define it, but they're coming at the edges. So, I mean, we have only seen incremental changes in the past. This is why Amazon became so successful. I mean, three things that they did right. In the front end, quite a holistic offering, very deep uh, offering orchestrated on a platform on a marketplace. In the back end, a world-class uh, logistics company, horizontal vertical integration. And on the monetization part, they came up with a prime offering where you basically consume various subscri subscription, a, a deep bundle of functionality or services uh, that allows them to also kind of offer you uh, on, a, on a temporary basis services so that you get accustomed to that. So quite a, a, quite, a, quite a change. And now this is the ambition that also large companies do have. And how do you get there? So first thing, it, it really requires the leadership foundation. The, the funny thing is we're all geared towards a kind of leading the established. So leading a business unit, leading a division, leading a function like marketing or procurement or supply chain. So, but who's in charge for leading transformation? Who's in charge for leading the change? And this is kind of the first thing to ask. You, you, you brought up the example of a chief digital officer. That might be someone is, who is in charge for leading that change, the transformation. So transform, break with the existing form. This is what it means. Uh, in the Asian countries, you find more transformation, chief transformation officers. But you need someone who is in charge, at least for a given 
period of time to lead the transformation until you hand over the transformation responsibility to the business units, to the division heads, to the heads of the function. So it's more temporary uh, assignment than a, a regular one, yeah. only with one exception, if you build up your own digital PL. So if you're driving native digital revenue stream and building up an own, PL business, a digital business which with an own PL, then there is a right to stay um, also for the uh, for the chief digital officer, the chief transformation officer. Otherwise, I think it's 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 better for the organization to hand over this responsibility to those who are in charge for business for the function. So first one is leadership foundation, get the right. And I already talked about the backing from the executive and from the supervisory board. The second thing I think we started to discuss. Uh, it's really interesting to see that the winning organizations really have a clear destination. So, so I mean, fundamentally, if you want to transform, you have to know where you're standing today, but you also need to develop a clear picture of the to-be state, the future state, the desired end state. Some call that a transformative purpose, massive transformative purpose, some call that a polar star or north star that is heading, it's guiding your journey. But you know, I mean, we have seen that Occupy Wall Street movement. Still remember that? I live in Frankfurt here and I've seen the tents in front of the old European Central Bank. They have been there for six months and you know, uh, Occupy Wall Street during the financial crisis and post-financial crisis activated a lot of energy. And this is great. But after a while, the movement and digital transformation is nothing else than a movement. You're creating movement. Uh, the, the, the movement started to cease. Mm -hmm. And why? It started to cease because fundamentally you can activate people by being against something. But after a while, you have to explain them where the grass is greener. What is the desired end state? What is the purpose? Where are we heading? So I think many transformation, and this is what the winning companies do much better, uh, they give a clear indication where they're heading. I mean, just take uh, SpaceX. I mean, I like Elon Musk despite everything because he's really a, a great entrepreneur. And I mean, he, he said, make man a multi-planet species. I mean, this is quite, uh, quite a destination for an organization. If this is the desired end state where your transformation is heading, uh, I think this is quite quite motivating. I mean, you should always it always should fit to kind of your knittings and the the culture of your organization, how ambitious that uh, purpose is. But I think it, it is really important. Uh, and, and then when you have that, you only have to to make, be clear on you know what are the deltas. You know you want to you know where you want to heading. Uh, and now you need the deltas between where you today and where you want to be, and be very specific on that. And the interesting thing is that most companies cannot uh, uh, really coin that. Sure. I mean, they know where they are and potentially they know somehow where they're going. Some are already vague on that, but to be very specific on the deltas, for example, the deltas on you know the front of the offering, the deltas on how you create the value. Do I have to change production? Do I have to build a digital platform, a digital ecosystem and so on and the monetization? This is something which many organizations are still struggling with. But if you do that right, it's a, a tremendous advantage and you can really drive an organization, especially across the, you can orchestrate the transformation um, in, in a very systematic fashion. Yeah, and, and I mean, um, and if you have done that, <laughs> I mean, then it's only the, 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 the last thing is, 
I mean, if you are the leader of the transformation, make yourself self-sufficient. This is kind of the, 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 would be the ultimate advice. And, you know, transition the accountability for driving the transformation into the business units, into the divisions, uh, and into the potentially core functions. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, how you would describe to, to gear your organization to, to, to the new normal and to that uh, desired end state. And then happy to talk about, you know, how you, bend, how you balance the existing business and, and that new world uh, from an organizational and leadership perspective. Uh, yeah, that is really int uh, that exactly that that would be the next stage, right? Like, how do you balance? How do you balance with you know with what is making money right now, right? And which which is let's say no, let let's take the simplest, really the simplest um, thing. Like, if we take a really uh, an organization that has really wide product chain uh, range, right? And the core product, right? With uh, and and, and uh, oftentimes if we look at traditional companies, right, with a history especially let's say in europe you know uh, from a manufacturing perspective right these companies have grown you know with sometimes with a few core products you know where it is not about you know stating the vision okay we make uh, uh, we make let's say um, you know mankind a multiplanetary species no right? no it's uh, a bit more uh, exactly, more down to earth exactly it's more down to earth right and so how do you balance let's say what is uh, ultimately feeding, you know, feeding the, the, uh, uh, the, the mouth basically of, of every individual. And let's say also kind of uh, at the same time needs to pay, you know, the, the, the activities uh, for the future, because, you know, without, the, without these, uh, without that, you cannot finance, let's say the, the activities of the future. And, and that is, that is the, the crucial point. But before we get into that, you know, before we get into that, um, in terms of balancing, let's if we still look at the old business, right, and the transformation part, there's um, a lot of, uh, and, and that is something that has been ongoing uh, from, if we look from a technological perspective. So in order to make operations happen, right, um, for the past two decades, there has always been a technological shift, right? There has been life cycles, and that is in regards to business and IT. So um, infrastructure has been changing, you know, there's, a, let's say, Things are getting more efficient. There's different life cycles and stuff like that. And if we look at, and if we look at, let's say, some of the budgets in regards to in regards to digitization in, in large companies, right? A huge portion of that is taken out to actually, you know, renew the infrastructure for huge migration projects, right? If we take just one, let's say, crucial world, uh, world, uh, word or magic word that is used uh, all the time, which is cloud, right? So this the transformation for uh, large companies towards the cloud, right? I mean, those are migration projects, right? Which are, to be honest, I think for the next decade from 2020 to 2030, most, most of the large corporations are just like going to be migration projects, right? Large sums of money being invested in that. So the question is, does that actually make sense? Because ultimately, I mean, the operations in, let's say, if we take selling the old product, right, the old world, selling our product, which, which is our core, still somehow work, right? Does it make sense to actually go through these technological life cycles then? Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's an excellent question. I mean, and I think it's the, the best uh, point in time uh, or in history to ask that question, because I think uh, what we've seen is, is, is a recalibration of what's value, what's based of, of new logic and old, what's old logic in the, in the COVID-19 crisis currently. Uh, for me, it's the biggest uh, behavioral change at scale ever. 
that we have seen in history. And of course, it was a fast forward for digitalization, no doubt about it. And I mean, um, I agree with you and I've seen in my life many of these projects, infrastructure projects and so on that I think at least the correlation to direct business impact um, either existing business or future business was limited, I would say. But the good thing in these days is, and this is why I would, would like to give it a slightly different spin, is that infrastructure all of a sudden has a business case. I mean, let's take a very, very, very simplistic example. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> five years ago, I mean, not every CFO would, would have had this discussion with you. But today, every CFO has this discussion with you. Now, let's say, okay, all of a sudden, everyone is in home office. Your mobile mobile works uh, from somewhere in the world. Okay, what does it mean? Uh, at the beginning, you know, okay, we have these fantastic VPN channels. Ooh, <laughs> all of a sudden, uh, internet nodes, VPN channels, I would say ooh, limitations, right, that we're facing here. I, I know companies who have actually moved to, towards kind of elastic cloud infrastructures platforms, um, just as simple as that, Office 365 with video conferencing integrated uh, seamlessly. I mean, they have been so much better off. I mean, you have a decent uh, encryption. Uh, I mean, you have uh, elastic cloud infrastructures. I mean, you can really gear your VPN towards mission critical uh, tasks. So I think there is a business case for infrastructure all of a sudden. And I think this is a positive one. So it shows that, you know, being up to date, especially in a cloud where consume uh, also on a consumption basis, pay on a consumption basis in many ways, uh, can be a clear advantage. I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, every infrastructure project is the right one. Uh, don't get me wrong. Um, uh, but I think in that case, it makes perfect sense. Now, now back to your other question, kind of how do we balance that creating cash in the existing business and building new revenue streams uh, for the future. And this is kind of the ultimate question for every organization, because what you want to achieve is that we want to sustain the organization at least, hopefully grow it or develop it further, but we want to sustain it at least in the long term. And of course, uh, we gear our attention very much to the cash stream, which is uh, coming out of the existing business. I mean, and fundamentally, this is earning the money that we can invest into the future. So this is completely fair. So one hand of our organization, one leadership hand, um, should really be geared towards managing 80.9 or 90.8 to, to 90.85, 98.5 or something like that. So incremental improvements geared towards efficiency. Um, kind of uh, sticking with the same competencies and, and skills that we have um, and, and focus on that. And this is important. But the second thing is even more important, especially in these days, and we shift towards the other hand. So the other hand is entrepreneurial transformation leadership. And we have to reserve a part of the organization with dedicated leadership who is geared towards building something from zero to 70%. And this is completely different because it requires building up new competencies and skills, it requires experiments, it requires fast learnings, it, it requires agile approaches and scaling them across the organization. And in many cases, you're not in, in a friend role, but you're in an enemy role for the rest of the organization because there is always the slight 
uh, risk that you might be cannibalizing part of the core business, kind of the cash stream where the company is making the money today. Uh, typically, honestly, between the two of us, this risk is, uh, is much smaller than you might think. Uh, because it's then in a given niche, in a, in a certain customer segment and so on, there is a cannibalization risk, but not going into a platform, despite there is a risk of disintermediation or something like that, it, in most cases still does not make sense. But back to my point, balancing these two hands, and it's, it's like we're left-handed or we're right-handed. And uh, kind of left-handed is managing today's business, right-handed is managing future business, building something up from zero to 70. And kind of having two strong hands is the ultimate goal uh, for an organization. And some people call that ambidextrous organizations. And I also would argue it requires ambidextrous leadership. So in my experience, I would say it's difficult that people run an existing business very successfully are as good in building up something completely new. And this is why I feel like we should also revisit our uh, composition of leadership teams in the organization, and also on a top level, the top leadership team. So how many people are rather geared towards, you know, making our money today, which is super important. Uh, but also, how do we balance it with people who rather geared towards building something up from scratch? And especially with digital, is, uh, I mean, you know, take even uh, in the chemistry industry, for example, if you if you have a have a digital tool and you do a digital forward integration, get closer to your customer, um, then you build a native digital value creation system besides a traditional industry value creation system. And if you do the right, you productize the knowledge of your R&D, uh, you give uh, your customer a tool in your hand uh, to, to manage, um, for example, the performance management of a catalyst in a factory, even, even better, uh, geared towards the specific needs in a, in a, in a, in a, in a given situation. Then, at a, at a certain point, you have a chance to establish a price point for the digital value creation system. And then you're building up a digital native revenue stream. And if you think that even further, then all of a sudden something magic happens because you can say, do I still want to sell something physical? Do I want to still sell catalysts or cars or whatever? Or do I allow my customers to consume performance management as a service? And, you know, the catalyst or the cars remain on my balance sheet. And then you're gearing the company towards an outcome-based business model. And I think this is the fascinating things. But these kind of ideas typically are very difficult uh, um, for people who rather gets towards managing uh, the efficiency uh, in an existing business plus incremental innovation in there. So balancing these two hands and having two strong hands and two leadership capabilities in the organization in the right mix i think is crucial yeah it is crucial but i would also argue that it's um sheerly let's say i don't want to use the word impossible but i mean it is a it is a very difficult uh, difficult thing to actually do right because i mean that's what you already mentioned right cannibalizing things that is also always comes in in hand with let's say you know jobs being um yeah, either replaced or, you know, just, let's say, canceled, you know, because they're not needed anymore. And um, I think, and, and you know, the funny thing is that, one, as you mentioned, leadership, right? 
you have top top level leadership, right? That is one thing. But then again, you have middle management, right? And middle management, and that's what it, what what uh, what it's about, right? It's not really about yeah. You have leadership that is kind of for a vision, right? That says a vision. But then again, you also have you know a lot of ideas that are coming from you know from the bottom, which which are not let's say you know coming through because of middle management. And it all comes down because at the center of you know all these things, there's always a person. You know, and the person and their personal, let's say, habits, their uh, comfort zone, their, uh, let's say, views and, and kind of, you know, defending their territory and all these things. And that's why it is, it is super, super difficult, in, in my opinion, you know, and, and that's, I mean, also what the numbers show, right, from, for businesses that are really, let's say, coming from inside out, right? So let's say new ideas, new ventures that are generated from the inside out. And not really, let's say, greenfield in the sense that, okay, so we have our big organization, but let's say from outside of that, we just, you know, we, we develop something outside. Yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure if I fully agree. Um, well, you can, exactly. I mean, that, that's, that's why we're having to talk, right? Can, <laughs> because, you know, I mean, cannibalization is always a big word, so I'm always very hesitant to use it. But fundamentally, I, I firmly believe in, I mean, I did my PhD in innovation management. I really looked into exactly that question. I mean, you know, be careful with it because if you don't cannibalize your own business, someone else would definitely do. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always, you don't under, uh, underestimate the power of the others. There, there are also some other smart people out there. So someone is waiting for that opportunity. Anyhow, if there's really a, an opportunity. And I always, you know, if I invest in startups, I always ask, you know, what are your competitors? And if I get the answer, you know, we don't have any competitors. I'm always very very skeptical because <laughs> typically if i google i mean after 30 minutes i found someone's doing something similar and actually it's good if there if there is no competition there is no market i would say uh, yeah. i mean first point and you know this is also with the with the employees i mean i, I would say we have to find the right balance and sometimes i've seen that especially with uh, technologies jumping on the next trajectory kind of the you know famous innovators dilemma so i once worked in the in the corporate strategy department of siemens siemens group headquarters in munich and i mean there was a, a very young startup sending us a facsimile i still remember that quite some time ago it was actually cisco and cisco wanted to sell the company to siemens and uh, yeah, yeah, there, there have been people in the organization, very smart engineers at Siemens who have saying, who have been, they kept saying, um, and that was very difficult at that point in time. Uh, you know, still haven't figured out the algorithms to sort out, you know, speech over voice over IP and so on. But they have been saying voice over IP can cannibalize the traditional private branch exchanges. And uh, many people didn't believe that. And, uh, you know, I mean, if you miss the boat, uh, then it, it's becoming uh, difficult. And um, I mean, recently, um, Mr. Kaiser, the CEO, still C current CEO of Siemens, even uh, referred to that uh, historic mistake in the company yeah. history because it's going back to the roots of the company's company because it's a communication company historically. This is what Werner von Siemens built. And actually, I, see, I think Siemens lost 10,000 uh, jobs 
in the communication industry due to that to the mistake of overseeing the jump to the next technology technological trajectory namely voice over ip replacing uh, uh, private branch exchanges so i think it's really important to always keep an eye on that um, and of course there are always limitations there's politics as you're saying uh, wisely uh, i've heard at least in some organization there might be politics uh, there are power plays of course uh, some I mean, it's always challenging status quo also means challenging power constellations typically. So of course, there's all of that. But nevertheless, the winning companies are able to at least shift the focus of their leadership team, of their organization towards also building new stuff. Because the challenge is if you start too late, you're too late. Um, as we're seeing is that building up native digital revenue streams are really tiny revenue streams uh, at the beginning. If you're looking at the business model logic of a subscription model, I mean, we have seen that with Salesforce, still remember that? At the beginning, everyone said, you know, this is a business which will never come profitable. And why is that? Because the business model logic means I mean, if you're building a revenue stream on a subscription basis, you still have very high cost for sales because you still have people walking around selling the stuff. It's not like, yeah, you know, go on website and yeah, yeah. that's it. You can just consume it as a service. Um, secondly, you have the operations, which is quite, uh, quite expensive. Uh, so we discussed that before. And only if you reach a certain plateau effect of the customer adoption, then all of a sudden this uh, recurring revenue stream uh, becomes a profitable revenue stream because only when the, the growth get, gets a bit slower, then all of a sudden kind of you're making the recurring revenue streams and the, the new subscriptions bring in, um, uh, bring in the money to make it a profitable business. And that takes quite a while and even a bit of a, you know, a long-term perspective to, to bring that somewhere. And this is why it's also important to start that very early. So, and that leads me actually, uh, stop me if, you, if I'm talking too much, but you know, this leads me to what, what does it mean? I mean, we need, we have figured out it needs more entrepreneurial transformational leadership, one. It needs more autonomy because typically it requires two things, autonomy and autarky. So autonomy means like, I mean, I need space. I need, you know, I can make my own decisions as a venture that I'm building up if I really want to grow a new business. But it also requires a, a new resource allocation uh, mechanism. Yeah. If you allocate resources on an annual basis, like in, 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 in a typical, which makes perfect sense for an established business, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't make sense, you know, if we work in an agile fashion. So it's rather, should rather be milestone based or whatever, like VC uh, investment ba uh, like and so on. And if you get that right, I think then we're getting into the discussion of agile. What does agile mean? And, and agile means much more than I think a lot of people think, and uh, happy to talk about Agile in a second with you, but I, I pause here for a second. Yeah, don't worry about it. But, um, you know, in terms of Agile, um, I, what, what, I want to, uh, what I want to kind of get out of you as well is, uh, because we've talked, we talk a lot about, let's say, okay, you know, how it should be, you know, or, you know, what potential, let's say, ways of doing things are. But let's, let's more or less talk about reality, you know, like, okay, what is, what is actually happening, you know, especially, let's say, you have a really good, you know, uh, also with your activities, obviously, at uh, the World Economic Forum, and also your previous positions that you held, you have a really good overview of, let's say, the activities, also, obviously, in the exchange with other executives and stuff, what is, what is actually going on, right? 
And, and my question here at this point is actually, you know, do we see, especially in a comparison, for example, uh, to, to if we take it from a, a geographical perspective, right? If we take Europe, for example, and there's always a comparison between what is happening in China and what is happening in the US. And uh, I do, re do not really want to get into that, you know, comparing Silicon Valley uh, to, <laughs> to the rest of the world. But um, if we look at Europe kind of and at the traditional players, right? Is there, let's say, you know, initiatives and or let's say also things that are done right, you know, um, or things that you observe where you say, okay, you know, this is really going into uh, the right direction, especially, you know, uh, underlying the point that it is a completely different story talking about B2C versus B2B, right? Mm -hmm. Where the focus obviously of Europe is. Yeah, yeah, this is a big question <laughs> that you're asking. It's a good one. Yeah, uh, I mean, of course, I don't want to overemphasize what uh, a lot of other smart people said is that Europe is a bit falling back <laughs> and uh, kind of we're seeing strong, I mean, we're seeing quite some innovation power in the US, but also US having quite some challenges in various respects uh, these days, but of course, still an innovation powerhouse here especially certain regions. Um, then, of course, we're seeing uh, China being, being extremely strong and, and making really uh, strategic bets in various very important areas, including AI. You're seeing that. Um, and also we're seeing very strong uh, platform ecosystems uh, evolving in China. Yeah, we have we have been seeing seeing them grow in the U.S., but now uh, the bigger ones are even in China. We see that uh, competition on a business model level uh, starting right now with TikTok. You see that, yeah. and so on. I mean, Ping M, for example, um, an insurance company, a Chinese insurance company, just yesterday. Uh, was named uh, number one on the uh, patent application list uh, uh, worldwide uh, for fintechs. Um, yeah. They started insurance, moved into different ecosystems, including health and so on. They're the most valuable insurance company from a market cap perspective worldwide. Uh, and uh, it's incredible. It's, uh, it's really an ecosystem play and an ecosystem have the opportunity to part of an ecosystem once you tip and the, this ecosystem is attractive you're, you're, there's a high probability that you stay in this ecosystem so yeah. this is what we're seeing what does that mean for 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 europe i mean i agree with you that um b2c and i mean fundamentally i, I think if you talk about digital you always have to 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 think b2b to c to end user in everything you do yeah. i mean i d really don't buy any longer um the strong differentiation, especially B2B companies sometimes have a tendency not to think through until the end user, until the end consumer, yeah, yeah, to, yeah. Their, to their customers' customers. And right. this is really important because otherwise you're missing the boat of uh, digital forward integration. Okay. I mean, in the old days, you had to acquire all these assets that are sitting in front of you, you know, because you acquired a company for, or you acquired a distributor that sits in front of you and then your customer and so on. These days, you can actually bridge, build a digital bridge towards your customer uh, and link directly to them. You can, can cut out the middleman, a distributor who's only taking your margin uh, and not providing value. You can directly link to the customer, like in the example I mentioned before, via a digital tool, via an app and so on. So there are quite some opportunities. And B2B has the big opportunity for German or European companies, and I buy that, uh, that you need quite some accumulated knowledge. 
to really understand the yeah. business processes uh, of your customers as good as the customer him or herself. Yeah. And this is quite interesting because you typically get a very deep understanding of what's really going on. And uh, this is, I, I feel, the asset that we should be leveraging now. I mean, when it comes to platforms, I think we're still kind of have not really scaled it out. But the good thing is that we have not seen uh, IoT platforms really being substantially um, uh, successful these days. I mean, I see a bit of risk coming from Microsoft Azure with their IoT, IoT uh, flavor. Yeah. that they have built because if you have a dominant platform the platforms follow a winner takes it all logic yeah. and you have a leading platform and building some iot yeah, yeah. i don't know uh, lipstick on a pick or ice cream on a cake or whatever but potentially if you build very good capabilities if you were to build great uh, iot capabilities on top of a leading platform that might be a threat but apart from that i really feel like here European and German companies have quite some something still to add and to contribute, but now it's really the time also to make substantial investments. Yeah. Now let's talk about that COVID-19 fund that we've seen from the European uh, Union recently. Yeah. Honestly, a lot of people have been skeptical, skeptical, skeptical about that, but I think uh, I mean, many people argue also it's now the time for a reset in Europe and so on, uh, which, 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 which I support. And I would say if we want to reset, I think we need something like that, that COVID-19 fund. And we have to gear not only in terms of crisis management, mm -hmm. but we really have to gear towards innovation. The good thing, it, it actually has two buckets that in the COVID-19 funds of the European Union. It has a sustainability bucket, which is good fully supported and it has a digitalization bucket and there's also quite some synergy between sustainability circular economy and digital acti activities typically and i would say if our purpose is you know contribute based on the asset the accumulated knowledge that we have in europe the cultural diversity that we're having that rich history uh, focus focusing on our industry competence plus our passion and our commitment to sustainability uh, i think actually the future is much brighter than many people think i would say yeah i would also argue so especially you know underlying the point that you said you know really thinking through the you know from from a b2b to the b2c part you know, especially let's say if we take those you know industries that europe has really strengthened those are really let's say you know the domain knowledge within these fields is really, let's say there's a really a lot of knowledge, right? That has been accumulated, you know, through a lot of investments into that knowledge, you know, over, over decades, basically. And thinking that through basically that change, obviously, you know, is really, really difficult. And I mean, as you know, it's not, it's not really that easy for a, for a, you know, a, one of the GAFA players or whatever, right? To, to just, you know, take that and, and, you know, I don't know, build a platform upon that, but also a really good example with the Microsoft on the IT side, I mean, the same thing is, you know, with Google Auto Automotive as well, you know, with the automotive industry that is really, let's say, you know, seeing that as a threat, because if you kind of build an operating system standard, you know, for uh, the automotive, then obviously, you know, every, everything, every monetization, um, you know, activity that is a following upon that is depending on that platform. That, therefore, a very good example on that. Yeah, 100%. Uh, well, Carsten, uh, it was a really a pleasure talking to you, but uh, obviously we have to keep the time in mind. and. Uh, we uh, 
we agreed uh, on that. And so thanks a lot for being on the show. It was really great talking to you. Very interesting. And I uh, hope to uh, yeah see you in the future. Yeah, Jonathan, it was a pleasure. It was on my side, definitely. I think we could have spent a couple of more hours uh, diving into some other topics. Next <laughs> time we talk about Agile. And what, what I also like, just to close on that one, really the link between, you know, the Agile idea from, from design thinking, the second part at least for design thinking, to Agile development, for example, Scrum Base, to DevOps, to Lean Startup. So yeah. that might be something for our next podcast. Yeah, um, so <laughs> in that one, don't digitize the past innovate and transform for the future thanks for having me and uh, all the best